You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Odyssey Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Welcome, everybody, to Odyssey Sports. You're listening to Big Time Baseball. I'm Cody Decker, and normally, across the way, you hear the lovely, lovely tones and vocal range of Tony Gwynn Jr., but he's a little busy this week calling Padre games, doing his stuff on 93.7 uh, The Fan in San Diego, and all the other busy stuff he's doing for Bally's. So instead, I found the only other person around who is maybe 10 times more busy than Tony Gwynn Jr. That is the one and only John Heyman returning to big-time baseball. How you doing today, John? Hi, Cody. My, my tones are not as lovely as uh... Uh, Tony Gwynn, but uh, good to good to be with you, Cody. Um, Always well, great. Let's give it our best. Let's do it, man. You know, you and I, we, we actually go back quite a ways. You've uh, been mm-hmm. one of the guys in my entire career that has always been, you know, extremely polite and nice to me, despite the fact that I was really never anybody important to talk to. But amazingly, John, you've always been one of those guys that have just been, you know, just one of the guys that the players love and gravitate to. And uh, well, I'm, I'm really excited to be doing this with you today. Well, well, Cody, I, I had scouts on you, and my scouts told me you were going to be a big star. So, uh, you know, that's why I was so nice to you. And uh, you are a star, but, but uh, in the media. So I, it really, I, really breaks right. my heart. Breaks my heart. You need better scouts. You desperately need better <laughs> scouts. And they told you I was going to be a baseball star. But let's just get into it. Uh, I mean, right. John, it's been insane. Last night, we've seen this last 48 hours. Major League Baseball finally enacting their grand masterful plan of uh, checking out pitchers, checking their belt, their belts, their hats, their gloves in between innings to make sure they're not doctoring baseballs. And it's gone just about as good as Everyone expected it to. We saw last night with Max Scherzer. Um, what, what do you think? I mean, we first saw Max Scherzer come off the mound, you know, in between innings, get checked. He got checked again. But then Joe Girardi has to go in and ruin it for everybody and uh, has him checked mid-inning. What was your thought process during this entire thing? Well, you know, I, I will say I don't think Max's attitude uh, was exactly what you want to see to begin with. I mean, uh, you know, he looked like he was put off. Uh, you know, these are the rules. We're going to have to play by these rules. I thought DeGrom handled it wonderfully, laughed about it. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, should be fun in games if you're clean. And Max was clean. So, uh, you know, but it, it clearly was Girardi's fault here. What's what's going on? I mean, uh, Mike Rizzo said he's a con man. You know, I don't want to say he is a con man, but this definitely was a con. Scherzer was checked in innings one and three by the umpires. You know, this is day one for them uh, doing this. And it's clear at this point that Scherzer is not doing anything untoward. Nothing wrong with what he's doing. And Girardi, this is just gamesmanship now to have him checked in inning four. You know, I don't believe a word of what he said post-game other than Scherzer's a Hall of Famer, that I'm going to believe. But other than that, I'm not buying any of it. 
you know, Girardi is frustrated. His team hasn't been very good. And, uh, you know, I think he was just trying to uh, get one over on Max, upset him. He did upset him. Didn't affect his pitching. But, uh, you know, it was a it was an effort by Girardi to throw him off, but didn't work. And uh, ultimately, he just comes off looking like a con man. He absolutely does. And it looks awful. But here's the thing about it. And I think even Alex Wood put out a tweet because there is a thing about these checks of a manager checking in on a pitcher. And the word that has been used is, quote unquote, bad faith. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy about this ruling, this new thing that they're doing and implementing this rule that they really didn't even check with the players union or the players or really anybody in doing these random checks midseason and doing this rule change. And this whole idea of bad faith, a manager cannot do this in bad faith. Well, you had it last night right there. Joe Girardi clearly acting in bad faith. No one for one second thinks that he was getting anything to check on Max Scherzer other than the fact that the Phillies have been an anemic offense. That's it. So it really, it honestly, quite frankly, I can understand why Max Scherzer was as insulted and infuriated as he was. I would be (laughs) insulted too. You, you, yeah, if I'm but, sitting there and I'm dominating your team and then you come out mid-game after already doing the two rule-abiding checks and you're accusing me of cheating, I'm going to get pissed off. And Joe yeah. Girardi brought it on himself. And watching him, them stare at each other and watching Joe get out of the out of the dugout, try to yell at Max Scherzer, I don't know if you want that fight, Joe. <laughs> well, I think he knew he wasn't getting a fight. I, w- I wouldn't want to tangle with either one of them. I-, I will say this. Max looked pissed off in... Checks one and three, too. I mean, innings one and three. He, he looked upset to begin with. And uh, at that point, Girardi hadn't done anything. But uh, he looked even more upset on uh, the the fourth inning check. And, and I get it at that point. I, I do think that Girardi was in the wrong. I do think it was just complete gamesmanship. Uh, he'll say now that he saw him going to his hair and or his head. And uh, okay, fine. But, uh, I mean, he was checked in inning one and three. I mean, come on. He, he clearly was not doing anything wrong. Um, and then in the post game to say that you're not challenging them. I mean, come on. He came out of the dugout and you could see him say, let's go, let's go. I, I mean, if Castellanos gets a multi-game suspension for instigating a fight, which he didn't say, let's go, let's fight. He just, you know, uh, he picked up the ball and handed it to him. I mean, maybe he was sarcastic. I don't know, but. You know, the MLB obviously read into it that Castellanos was the instigator there. I mean, to me, uh, that was a bit of a leap. But in this case, there's no leap. Girardi's saying, let's go, let's go, let's have a fight. I mean, to me, that that has earned a suspension, more, even more than the bad faith check, which I, I agree with you, Cody. I, I do think that was bad faith. So give him a few more games for that if you like, but definitely give him some games for the uh, let's go challenge of the fight. And you mentioned earlier the Max Scherzer, how he first reacted in between. And and yeah, he was clearly annoyed by it. It looked like me. And I even used this tweet last night talking about it because it's 100% true. If you know anything about AAA baseball, you know that AAA baseball travel is the worst. And you're taking 4 a.m. flights at Southwest. And you're just miserable going through security check. And he looked like me going through a Southwest security check out of Albuquerque, hitting a, hitting a, you know, four hour layover in Vegas to go play in Tacoma that night. But here's the thing. To look that annoyed and knowing full well that, you know, players are going to be checked in between innings. Now, I don't like that they're doing it on the field. I really don't. I mean, I think it could be done down in the dugout, perhaps in the video room that is right next to the dugout. This could be done a little bit less in public. I just think it's a terrible look for Major League Baseball, in my opinion. But 
being watching Max that annoyed by the thing that he knew it was coming, and then later seeing Sergio Romo react in a similar way, as funny as I thought it was that Sergio Romo went as far to take his pants down. <laughs> do you think it's a tougher look on baseball or the players that they're reacting like this? Because I kind of understand the player's side in this, but I was also a player. I can understand yeah. why a casual fan would look at the players thinking, that's, that's just a terrible look. How could you act that way? Well, your entire livelihood has been called into question every half inning. <laughs> well, you're, you're certainly giving the players perspective. I, I look at it like, you know, it's all part of the entertainment and it's adding to the entertainment, at least at the beginning. I mean, if we're in th month three of this and they're checking as regularly as they are, this is going to get kind of boring. But uh, for now, uh, you know, if I'm a player, it's easy for me to say I'm a player. I haven't played since Little League. If I'm a player, I just take it in stride, take it in the spirit that's intended and know that they're checking everybody, that it's not, other than the Girardi Scherzer one, it's not personal. That one was personal. I, I get it. I get why Scherzer was upset. But, you know, if you're a Romo or somebody else getting checked randomly or your Scherzer in the first inning and you're just being checked as every other starter is, I don't think they should take it that way. Um, that's my opinion. It's easy for me to say. I didn't advance uh, past Little League. Well, uh, you, you mentioned that I kind of have a player's perspective, and I do. I, I freely admit that my my perspective is slightly more skewed towards the players because I was one for so long. And but I do I do understand other people's perspectives and sides on this. For instance, here's a player perspective you probably weren't seeing coming. I feel bad for the umpires. <laughs> I never thought those words would exit my mouth, but today. I feel terrible for the umpires because you know for a fact they don't want to do this. They're getting enough crap as it is all season long. Pitchers are throwing with high spin rates and huge velocity. And, you know, umpires' good games are getting calls right 89% of the time, which means 11% of those pitches uh, are, are not being called correctly, which drastically affects a game. But I feel bad for them. Like, I, I know... Every time I see on Twitter, Angel Hernandez is behind the plate because his name is already trending on Twitter. Now <laughs> you got that guy checking gloves and hats, which he is not trained to do. And he's sitting there who he has enough trouble doing his job as is. And now he's got to go deal with this. I honestly feel bad for the guys because it's just not their job. Yeah, I, I've long suspected you're a much nicer guy than I am, Cody. I, I just can't... Uh... I just can't bring up any sympathy for the umpires. Uh, it's a good paying job. Uh, it's a half a year job. And, uh, you know, it's not an easy job. I can't say it's an easy job. And uh, I think people understand that they, they're not the ones who are at fault for this, not the ones responsible for this. And, you know, to me, Angel Hernandez, Joe West, uh, they brought it on themselves, in my opinion. And 89% uh, isn't great. And uh, I'm in favor of the robo-ump. And, uh, you know, I think we do have some very good umpires. Uh, there's no question about that. And they do look uh, a little apologetic. Uh, certainly last night uh, when Marquez came out there with, for Scherzer, he looked apologetic and he didn't need to be apologetic. Uh, it was all Girardi's doing. Well, let's be real clear. I am 100% with you on robo-umps. I truly believe that a, that a radar zone strike zone should be implemented in Major League Baseball. And yes, I agree with you that there are great umpires out there, but the names you just mentioned, in my opinion, are not them. If you know an umpire's name, he's not the best umpire. You shouldn't <laughs> know an umpire's name. The end of the yeah. day, plain and simple. I've said this before, and it sounds like an insult, and it's okay that you take it as one. But if you're an umpire, you should be as noticeable as a chair. You should never be noticed. I should never pay attention to you. If I did, it's because you messed up. 
And I yeah. and it sucks that it's so glaring. But hey, like you said, it's a high paying job. It's hard to get out. Once you get to the big leagues, you're apparently there forever. Angel Hernandez, CB Buckner, Joe West. Good Lord. Uh, <laughs> so I truly I mean, Buckner affected your career from what I understand. So, oh, well. Listen, you know, when you get one major league start and you get the tough draw that C.B. Buckner is behind the plate, you better be ready to swing the bat. Absolutely. Uh, oh, that was a tough one. I got called out on a pitch out by uh, Alex Wood, and I remember A.J. AJ Ellis was what, Come on, it wasn't a pitch out. Come on. I don't believe that was. Okay, it wasn't, it wasn't technically a pitch out, but it could have been. Uh, yeah, you know what? They, all the umpires, the, that outside pitch. I, I mean, you know, they're, we're not Tom Glavin. They're not all Tom Glavin throwing, but that outside pitch, they're giving them three, four, five inches. Most of the umpires are doing that now. They got to tighten that up. That big time, big time. I mean, quite frankly, we're seeing it every day. We have that straight that we have that radar strike zone that, you know, the TV, Bally's, Fox Sports, ESPN, MLB, they all put it up there. So you see where the strike zone is. It's yeah, pretty, absolutely. pretty consistent. It doesn't move. And you're seeing pitches out of the zone consistently being called strikes. But yeah, yeah I remember that strikeout. AJ Ellis came to first base later in that game. He's like, congratulations. You're a big leaguer. Pat me on the back. You got CB. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy poor cb uh, he's such a nice guy what can he you do? is i mean he's i got nice guy. certain guys well. you kinda, he means well you can't help but give people a pass i i'll remember a, i remember a story that uh jeff rancor i don't know if it was about cb buckner but i believe it was and cb buckner once ran jeff rancor out of a game for calling him a pitch outside by about a foot and jeff went crazy gets tossed out of the game and two weeks later he's got cb behind the, ba the plate and he looks at him and cb says jeff I looked at that video. You were right. It was off the plate. I apologize. Um, I, you shouldn't have been run. I, I, I hope you forget. I hope you forgive me. And he says, thanks, CB. I appreciate you. I really appreciate it. Steps in the box. First pitch. Six inches off the plate. Strike one. Oh, Damn boy. it, CB. And CB just yelled, oh, no. Did I do it again? Did I do it again? He's a nice man. What can you do? You know, uh, niceness goes a long way. Remember that, kids. Niceness goes a long way. You don't actually have to be competent to keep your job as long as you're a nice guy. It's very, very true. For instance, I played baseball professionally for 11 years. I was never all that good. <laughs> uh, developing stories around the game. You know, it, it was looking like at the beginning of the season, we've heard all the talk about, you know, Otani and everything he was going to do. But of course, he's been his whole career in the States thus far has been kind of mired by injury. So we haven't had a chance to see exactly what this guy could do. And, you know, we lose Mike Trout over in Anaheim due to injury. And is this just the opportunity for Otani to completely shine and look what he is doing? He is taking over baseball right now. And in my opinion, there is no other person available for the MVP in the American no. League right now. Even no. even we got a guy that's about to hit for the triple crown in the American League, and I don't even think he's in the mix. Are we seeing something that could lend to a trade, uh, a trend in baseball going forward? Two-way players, or do we just not think this is – truly feasible in the long term i mean there are guys who are going to try to do it we've had guys try to do it for years and years and years and there have been some really see decent hitting pitchers but nothing like this i mean this is a once in a not even generation it's once in a century uh thing i mean obviously babe ruth was a great pitcher and a great hitter and now we have otani i mean you know you you could say that sure granky's a good hit a good hitter for a pitcher Otani is a great hitter, period, and uh, we just do not see that. I, I see guys who are going to attempt to do it. I hear from the kids who are coming up, and it's just really not possible for, you know, 99.999. .99, 
go on with the nines percent of people in the human race. And Otani is amazing. I agree with you. There's really no discussion. I said recently on Twitter that Otani is the clear MVP at this point. And of course, I've got the pushback from all these people bringing up Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's been brilliant. I mean, I get it. But Otani and Guerrero have basically, I mean, at this, as we do this now, I think they have the same number of home runs. I mean, you got one guy who's an ace pitcher on top of being a power hitter who's, you know, basically one of the two or three best power hitters in the game right now. I mean, there there really should be no discussion who the MVP is. And, you know, I'm one of those guys who counts where a team finishes and it is most valuable, but I mean, you're doing something that hasn't been done in a century. You're the MVP. I don't, there's no, shouldn't be any question about it at this moment. I mean, obviously we have a long way to go. Things can change. Maybe Vlad or somebody else will be MVP, but right now the vote should be unanimous. Otani is MVP. And let's keep in mind, Vladdy Jr. even said as much. Those people who are defending Vladdy, Vladdy came out and said, uh, yeah, he's the MVP. Look what he's doing. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, every player should understand that at this point. And good for Vlad for saying that and being honest. And as I said, things can change. Vlad has been brilliant. Congratulate him for really becoming the hitter he is and losing those, what is it, 42 or 43 pounds? I can't lose four pounds. So, I mean, give the guy credit for losing the 40-plus pounds and becoming that star that we thought he was going to be. But, I mean, Otani is doing something we have. I mean, anybody who's living now – uh, has not seen really. I mean, you'd have to be 99 years old to have seen uh, Babe Ruth at this point and remember and, him. So, and you mentioned Babe incredible. Ruth, it is incredible. You mentioned Babe Ruth, like just for full context, Babe Ruth was not throwing 95 plus. This was a different game in the 1920s. This, what you're seeing out of Otani is the elite of the elite of the elite on both sides yeah. of the field. Yeah, I mean, I, the one difference I would say, I mean, you know, I mean, at, at that moment, uh, Babe Ruth was an elite pitcher. I, the one difference is the game was segregated at that point. You know, you had to be white to play. And now, of course, uh, you know, the game has been integrated for since 1947. So uh, how many years is that? 74 years it's been integrated and it's a different game because of that. So you could say, you know, it's it's more impressive uh, to do it now, but, uh, you know, uh, obviously Babe Ruth was the only one doing it then, so that was, I got to give him credit for that. And it's not his fault that uh, the game was segregated at that time. It was wrong, obviously, and, uh, and April 15th, 1947 is the biggest date in baseball history, the greatest date, and... Uh, Glad they rectified that after many, many years. They should have done it before that. But uh, that is one difference with Otani. He's doing it from every, against all of the best players in the world. You know, you mentioned uh, Vladdy Jr. and how he's a clear-cut, you know, runner-up as of right now. And keep yes. in mind, again, it is June. It is June. There is a full second half of the season to play. Injuries happen, especially this year. You're seeing, you're seeing more injuries than we're ever even used to. A combination of, you know, last year's 60-game season, the COVID year, and, and this season going back to a full workload, not to mention all the other protocols for COVID. And there's just a lot of wrenches being thrown into this season. A lot of them. 
So injuries do happen. So the MVP race could be a completely yep. different race in a month from now than it is right now. And I freely admit that. But again, Otani, what he's doing is incredible. But we talk about Vladdy Jr. over there in the AL East. Now, he was a guy I didn't think would do this yet. I did know that he was going to be a star. I thought it'd be a guy that he'd hit around 230 to 260 for a couple of years until he finally broke through. But right now, we got a group of tw uh, players under the age of 24 who just took no time to break through to their superstar numbers. And we got the youngest smattering of stars throughout Major League Baseball, probably in my lifetime, maybe possibly my parents' lifetime, in fact. I mean, these guys, what you right. got Acuna Jr., Tatis Jr., Vladdy Jr., all the juniors. Well, finally, we so got another one that came up. Right. Not a junior. Wander Franco coming up yesterday. First hit of his career, a home run to left field, and he's got some swag. He's got some pop. Hit another, got another knock later in the game. I, it's my first time actually seeing the kid play. And you got a team like the Rays, who everyone kind of agrees is arguably the best team in the American League, but they have lost seven in a row. Is this the spark they needed? Uh, well, we'll see about whether this is a spark they needed. I am not the Rays expert, as I've mentioned here many times. I never have them as a playoff team, and they usually are. So I'm not the guy to ask on that one. I didn't have them this year. Uh, we, we shall see. They have been very good. Uh, I will put an asterisk on he's not a junior. His dad's name is Wander Franco. He could be a junior if he likes, I guess. Uh, <laughs> although he does have two brothers named Wander Franco also. So, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, you can't give junior to one and not the others, especially when one is a great ball player. Uh, maybe one of the others should get the junior moniker. I don't know. Uh, he's uh, can't miss. I mean, incredible. You're right about all the players you mentioned. I would throw Soto into that mix for the under 25 mm -hmm. stars. As would I. Um, Franco, incredible player, incredible prospect. We've seen number, number one prospects not pan out. Uh, I mean, I think everybody's in agreement. This guy is going to be a superstar in Major League Baseball. I would say, and you may disagree with me on this one, I could have done without the Rolls-Royce drive up. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I understand he got a $3.8 million bonus. Maybe he spent it on a car. I don't know if it's his or he rented, probably rented, but you know what? Uh, it's Wander Franco. That's the that's the star. That's the occasion, not a car. And you know, I guess I'm showing my age here. I'm maybe not hip, but uh, that would be the one negative I would give. I've heard he's a great kid, and uh, he's certainly going to be a great ball player. Well, I'm going to disagree with you on that, John. I'm my only sadness is that they didn't drive they didn't drive him up to the plate in the Rolls Royce. If he got to get out of the thing and walk into the batter's box from the Rolls Royce, it would have been that much better. And trust me, I have zero swag. I am sure as hell not hip, but I will tell you, I I like it. I I like the swag. I like I like bringing in a little bit of that theatrics and a little bit more mystique to the players. I think it's something baseball uh -oh. has missed. I think it's I think it's something that's a little more. I don't know. How do I put it? You know, when you think back at, at Joe Namath, you think back at one thing. You think back at that fur coat, man. I don't even think about all the other accomplishments. I think about the fur coat and the sweet mustache on the sidelines. And I think there's a certain amount of mystique to that. And I like players kind of carrying that mystique. And I, as ridiculous as that sounds, I know it's showmanship. I know it's not on-field play. But I think it peels back the curtain just a little bit and makes it exciting for fans to be a part of. And that's just my opinion. I know it's not for everybody, but you know, I, I'm a big fan of swag out in the field. I'm a big fan yeah. of swag off the field. I think it's I think it brings something to the game that the game just doesn't have, but other sports do.
Yeah, I mean, well, you're younger than I am and hipper and uh, probably a little bit swaggier. Uh, to me, if you do that, you better hit a home run in the first game, and he did. So he, he backed it up, so I'll give him credit. I'll, I'll, I'll say he did He did perform. He looked good in the field. He homered. Uh, you know, I, I'll give it to him. This, I'll give him a pass on the, on the, uh, the Rolls-Royce. Final thing on the AL East, uh, you know, Garrett Cole's strikeouts in spin, and spin rate drastically down since these new rules came in. Uh, you know, it's very easy to draw very simple conclusions from that. Um, but is it too early to draw any conclusions? Uh, is this uh, something that we can talk about l- later? Is this something that um, is just pointing out? Is it just highlighted because of the current situation or is this something that we're going to get past? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to draw a conclusion on whether he used the sticky stuff. I mean, he was asked flat out, did he use the sticky stuff? And he he didn't really answer. So I think we know that he did. But we keep mentioning Garrett Cole and and Trevor Bauer. And according to the Sports Illustrated article that came out, which I thought was a very good article, comprehensive, about three weeks ago, uh, they quoted an unnamed source saying 80 to 90 percent of the pitchers were using it. So uh, you know, I understand these are the guys with the two biggest salaries, Bauer and Cole. So I, I'm not going to feel sorry for them. I'm not going to take up a collection for them. But you know, I, I don't think we need to keep pointing out the same people over and over again if it's really 80 to 90 percent. And I believe it is a high number. I also I understand everybody's focused on catching people and spin rate and strikeouts. I mean, ultimately, the bottom line is to give up few runs and to win games and. You know, he still had a good performance last night. He still only gave up two runs. Uh, it wasn't his fault that they lost. And I would say that it's a small sample size. We'll see, you know, if he's not able to uh, perform like an ace, if he doesn't live up to the $324 million contract, uh, you know, it's a big story. But uh, at this point, I'm not going to kill a guy over the spin rate or certainly the spin rate in one or two games. Do you think that Jacob deGrom is partially to blame for this? And hear me out on this. Jacob deGrom's dominance is so staggering. So staggering. Off the charts. Never been seen before. Probably will never be done again. But it's almost like this is the ace of baseball. And if every other ace doesn't do what this ace is doing, well, they're not really an ace. Lucas Giolito last night pitched a gem, gave up two runs. And even when he gave up his first home run, I saw a couple of people smattering around Twitter saying, well, that's what happens when you when you have your personal catcher back there and you're sitting grand all. Well, come on. It's one home run. That's ridiculous. He gave up two runs and threw six innings. It was a gem of a game. Uh, Garrett Cole, you mentioned, didn't pitch his amazing best game ever, but he only gave up two runs and actually left the team in a great position to win. Is Jacob deGrom's dominance honestly to blame for how we're looking at all the aces throughout the league right now? <laughs> uh, geez, I, I, I hope not. I don't blame him. I, you can't blame somebody for being great. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think guys are just trying to keep up with him and doing whatever they can to keep up with him. I, I, I don't know. I, I, mean, I mean, I think cheating and, you know, cutting corners has gone back for decades and decades. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to blame uh, DeGrom for that. Uh, I, I, it's an interesting theory, but uh, I think it's uh, basically human nature. And I'm glad baseball's doing something about it. They may need to amend things a little bit uh, so we don't have uh, any more Girardi situations. I, I don't know, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to pile on to DeGrom. I think Girardi's the, the guy, the villain for the day, not DeGrom. 
Well, looking throughout baseball right now, big picture in these leagues and divisions, um, what divisional race is really intriguing you right now? For me, I mean, obviously the West. NL West is just the most exciting thing in the world. You got the Giants at the top still sneakily with the best record in the NL. Uh, you got the Dodgers and Padres arguably having the World Series in June right now in San Diego. You, you're not going to find a louder stadium than Petco Park these last two nights. And I cannot wait for game three tonight. Of course, the Dodgers edging out both games. I mean, sorry, the Padres edging out both games. Um, but the other leagues that really intrigue me, the NL Central and the NL East, both really banged up and everyone hovering just around 500. I still feel like both those divisions are very much up for grabs. Yeah, I mean, the NL West, it's interesting that everybody's treating the Dodgers and Padres as the great showdown and overlooking the fact that the Giants have actually been the best team in the league to the, to point to this point. So uh, I don't want to overlook the Giants. We, we had... Uh, uh, Farhan Zaidi on, uh, their team's been the best, and uh, it's great there's a rivalry between te teams two and three, and uh, those teams are very good as well, but uh, let's not forget the Giants. The Central is the one that I'm looking at. Maybe it's because it's been a little bit better than the East. The East is very competitive, but, I mean, to me, you know, the Mets have been banged up. The other teams have all been uh, kind of disappointments to this point uh, in that in that division, and, I mean, anybody can win. I had the Braves. Um, I think Tony Gwynn also picked the Braves. Uh, it was natural, and we'll see. But, uh, uh, you know, to me, the Central, the teams have been a little bit better to this point. I think what's interesting to me about the Central is you've got the natural rivalry with the Cubs and the Cardinals, yet you've got uh, the Brewers and you've got uh, the, uh, the Reds in there as well. Anybody can win it. And, uh, you know, I think the Cubs are particularly interesting. They're tied for first as we do this. And, you know, I mean, maybe I'm leading now into my inside corner. We're going to talk about the teams that might sell. And the Cubs are fascinating to me to me because, I mean, they're tied for first. We thought they were going to be a seller. I'm still hearing from people around that team. They haven't given up the idea of potentially selling. I mean, you better not sell if you're tied for first. We remember that white flag trade in 1997. Also in Chicago, on the other side of town, three and a half games behind, the White Sox sold, and it was not the thing to do. I mean, can you imagine now in a day where they have social media, you've got Twitter, you got Facebook, you got all these things going on, and there's a team that's in first place or tied for first or close to first, and it's the Cubs, and it's a team that's supported as it is by its fans, and they sell. I, I mean, I hope they don't do it, but... Uh, I'm not ruling it out at this point, and uh, it's fascinating to see what they're going to do. I desperately hope they don't do it. And yeah, it, it looks like this team has been primed to sell all year, and the worst news that could ever hit Jed Hoyer's ears is the first-place Cubs are not going to be sellers because they need to be buyers. I mean, they need another arm or two, that plain and simple, and they can win this division. The Cardinals not living up to who they were supposed to be right now. The Brewers banged up. A lot of teams banged up. The entire NL East is banged up. The Mets are in first place, but now losing Stroman yesterday and not knowing where that's going. Lucchesi out for the year with getting Tommy John. We know we still don't have Syndergaard. Uh, you know, DeGrom's exited three games early this season. The Mets are starting to scare me a little bit. They are going to get some arms back and some bodies back. But, I mean, just the injury bug is killing them. And you, you're seeing the Nationals right now starting to win some games. They're hovering around 500 now. You know, th that was a team that I thought for sure would be a seller. But one team that I really think is really primed, really primed to be buyers during the deadline, 
because they've been quiet for the last two years, but they are still the best team in the National League, and that's the Giants. If the Giants go out and get another major arm, another uh, power bat that could really help them, I, I don't know how you beat the Giants coming forward uh, yeah. when it comes late in the year. Yeah, well, you covered a lot of big teams there. Let me go over one by one. Uh, the Cubs, I agree with you. One starter, and you know what? If they just had you, Darvish, they'd be in great shape uh, <sighs> to be a World Series contender. I know that's I shouldn't say that now. They, they've got to keep this team together. This is the last year of this nucleus of Baez, Bryant, Rizzo. I understand they're not going to extend themselves and extend these players uh, financially. Uh, you know, Rizzo, I think, is the most likely to be kept of that group of the trio with Baez and Bryant, uh, but let them have one more chance. They broke the, the jinx 108 years. Give them a shot. I, I think that would be tragic if they went and sold, uh, if they're either in first or close to first. So let's hope that doesn't happen. I'm in agreement with you. Uh, the Mets, um, yeah, I mean, somebody uh, on their team, uh, when Stroman went down, uh, texted me, this is a disaster. I mean, they have had one pitching disaster after another, and they've hung in there and are in first. My I just received a text uh, not too long ago saying that Stroman hip MRI came back clean, so that's good news. Whew, but thank God. a lot of issues, a lot of issues still with the Mets in terms of the pitching. Uh, they've been outstanding. Uh, I mean, Walker's been great. DeGrom has all-time great. I mean, he he's having a Bob Gibson-like season to this point. Stroman's been fantastic. Uh, you know, they've done a great job, but, uh, you know, they've got so many injuries to the pitchers and not just Batanzas, but now you've got, uh, Familia, you've got Gazelman, you've got a question still on Stroman since he did have to come out of the game with a hip. Uh, we know even DeGrom has had a multitude of, uh, questions. Uh, he's looked incredible. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Mets are going to be out there looking for pitching. Uh, no question about the Nats. Uh, they're not going to sell. I mean, we, we've been speculating about Scherzer from the start in 2019. Uh, they looked even worse. Uh, they had deals on the table for Scherzer. They didn't do it. That's just not the MO of Mike Rizzo. He's, he's come up a lot in this podcast. Uh, but he's just not a seller kind of guy. So, uh, you know, I think they're going to go for it. And the Giants, uh, I'm with you. Uh, you know, they might as well be buyers. Uh, Zaidi's done a great job. Uh, he did a great job buying in the off season at a discount, got good deals on Disclafani on wood, uh, bringing Gosman back on the qualifying offer. They've got all these guys on one year deals. Basically only three guys have a contract, uh, into the next year. Uh, so that gives them incentive to win. Uh, look, the giants won three world series with the positional teams comparable or worse than the one they have now. So uh, they got a shot. I'm sure they're smart enough. They're very, who am I to tell them what to do? They, they're, they're a team that plays in the free agent market and does well. And, you know, that's kind of a rarity. So uh, who am I to tell them what to do? But I'm with you. They got to buy. Yeah. And looking at other teams around the league, obviously you have the perennial sellers like Baltimore and Pittsburgh. But the one thing that I've gotten from a lot of front office guys lately is that right now, despite all these names that are being thrown out there, potential trade targets and teams that are potential trade targets, the asking price for these players right now are through the roof. Like just it's hard to trade right now because since the trade market is not as flashy as it normally is. Take a guy like Trevor Story is going to come with a serious premium. You're going to have to give up a lot for him. And what we saw in the offseason was a couple of trades happen where, such as the U Darvish trade, 
the Padres didn't give up a ton for him. They gave up a ton for Snell. Um, so I, it's, it, the trade market is very confusing to me at this exact moment because, you know, players are being, you know, it was brought up the other day about Escobar from, from, uh, Arizona. And I may, immediately said, well, Kettle Marte would be a much better fit for, for the White Sox than Escobar would be right now. And everyone said, well, they can't afford him. Kettle Marte is a solid player, but he's not the end all be all perennial all-star. He's a good player. But if you're saying that Kettle Marte is at a premium, then what does this trade market even look like? Yeah, I mean, there aren't that many trades in June to begin with. I think the asking prices are going to be high. I think there's a little bit of hesitancy on the part of the buyers to see about what the pitchers will actually do now with the new rule. You know, if you see some drop-off in performance, we talked about spin rate, but if you you see a drop-off in performance, you're going to start to wonder, was he reliant on the sticky stuff. So I think teams are going to be cautious as buyers. I'm not surprised the asking prices are high at this point. I kind of rate Marte a little bit higher than you. He came out of the game last night with a hamstring, so you wonder about that. Uh, he is hitting 366. Uh, that's pretty pretty good, even in that ballpark. Um, he also has a, He's also missed most of this season. Yeah. Yeah, 366 still pretty good. I, I got to give yeah. a guy credit for that. Of course, no, um, Marte's a great ball player. Yeah. I no, make no mistake, but but if we're going to talk about Kettle Marte being as high up as say a player like Nelson Cruz, I just don't see it. Yeah, a lot of a lot of it's about the contractual situation. <laughs> you know, Cruz is a free agent after the year. <laughs> Whereas Marte, uh, they've still got... He has a team-friendly deal a couple years yeah, ahead. I know he's, he, has, he comes with club control. Yeah, a lot of it's about that. So, you know, a guy's a free agent. You get a half year. You're going to get less than you, you'd suspect for him. Um, you know, take the Cubs, for instance. They're all free agents. Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo. You're not going to get what you want to get for these guys. So why trade them? I mean, Kimbrell, they've got an option on him. They would get a, a haul for him, but right now he's the best closer in the game. They got a shot. I'm just, you know, I'm sorry to keep bringing up the Cubs and advocating for them. I really hope they don't trade. Uh, even without them, I've got my 10 teams that uh, look to me like sellers. This is a little bit speculative. I know you've heard one of them will not sell, and you can talk about that. But uh, to me, these are the teams that probably will be seller: The Twins, the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, the Mariners, the Royals, the Pirates. Orioles, Rockies, Marlins, and Tigers. Uh, you know, looking at these teams, a lot of these teams have kids on the, them that probably won't be traded, have reasonable contracts, meaning they're less likely to be traded. Uh, there aren't a lot of great pitchers and certainly not pitching veterans on these teams. So someone's got a pitcher to trade. Uh, they're going to get a haul for them. Hard for me to name any good pitchers who are going to be dealt. I don't believe Scherzer will be dealt at this point. I brought up John Means early and it's getting speculated, but they got three more years with John Means. I, I don't think the, or the Orioles are not a contender this year. I doubt they're a contender next year. He would be more valuable to somebody else, but those trades are just, they're just not made. Teams do not trade a guy who's a homegrown star uh, with three years to go. So, uh, I'd be hard-pressed to name the good starting pitchers who will be dealt. Uh, two names that come to mind, Barrios with the Twins and Gibson with the Rangers, and they're going to be speculated a lot, but you know, both of them have another year to go on their deal. So you know, no slam dunk that either of them gets traded, but uh, 
go ahead with what you heard. I know you heard one of these teams will not be a, a seller. Only right? one. And But again, I was told this a few weeks back. So th- things could have very well tra- uh, changed. What I was told was Kansas City would not be selling and that they were planning on standing pat. And the idea wasn't necessarily to win this year. They were looking more for next year because right now we don't really know what we're going to get out of the uh, American League Central next year. We're not getting what we expected this year. We did expect the White Sox to be dominant, but we also expected the Minnesota Twins to be right up there. And they are absolutely in the cellar of the division with the Tigers. So uh, I can definitely see uh, Minnesota moving some bodies out of there right now, especially uh, contracts that are a little older like Nelson Cruz. But I, I look at I look at Kansas City thinking you know, they're not giving me 2015 vibes, but they're certainly giving me 2013 vibes. They feel like they're very, very close to beca- reclaiming that yes. glory in that division. Yeah, I, I like what they do. I like the fact that they try to win, uh, that they're not completely rebuilding like we see some of these teams, Pittsburgh and some other teams do. Uh, I give the Royals and the Tigers credit for signing some veterans to f- fill in there and uh, try to win um, basically every year. Um, and they don't have a ton to sell. If Duffy were healthy, uh, they'd get a haul for him at this point. He's got off to a great start, but we'll have to see. Uh, obviously, uh, the health affects this trade market uh, drastically. Uh, they haven't been able to lock up Solaire. That's a potential. Uh, Dyson seems like he's traded every year, so you can see that. And they, they have some very good relievers uh, with Barlow having a big year, Stomont having a good year. Uh, that they could trade, but I, you know, I could see the Royals hanging on, and I, I admire the fact that Dayton Moore and company uh, try to win uh, year in and year out. And you know, they they don't have the best stuff to trade in terms of veterans on contracts that are uh, ending. Uh, in that regard, I, I think the Twins, the team that you mentioned, uh, what a disappointment it's been for them, and uh, so unlucky. Uh, to see Byron Buxton get hurt again three days after coming back. It's so unfortunate, uh, but th- they're not going to win this year. I, it's, it's surprising. I, I had them as a playoff team, not winning that division, but a playoff team. And, uh, you know, they have Cruz who's on a free a free agent after the year and Simmons who's a free agent after the year, Barrios, who I mentioned. And they've got some relievers who have been pretty good, Robles and Rogers among them. So uh, I could I could see them uh, getting getting some good stuff for their trades. Another team you mentioned that actually surprised me a little uh, and might be just because they've been recently playing so well, and that's the Seattle Mariners above 500 in the AL West, a team that, you know, not many people are expecting much out of, you know, that the Astros and the A's are pretty much the best in that division. You know, the angels are starting to show some signs of life for a bright future, but the Mariners are finally actually showing signs of life. Is it more veteran players that are looking to get out and go more with a youth movement and call more guys up or, is that why Seattle's making this list, or they have young guys they're planning on moving? Yeah, their fans are going to get on me. They're they're always they're always on me because I'm I'm not been a Mariners uh, guy in recent years. Uh, <laughs> you know, I contend they're on a twenty year program, so uh, we're nearing the end of that twenty years. So maybe at some point they're going to try to win. Uh, I I don't know. Um, you know, this is not going to be the year. Their their run differential is something like a negative 40. I understand they're <laughs> over 500 at the moment, but, I mean, that's not a World Series contender. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say they're lucky to be over 500. They've won uh, a lot of close games. There were 16-7 and seven in one-run games last I looked, something like 8-1 and one in extra innings, I believe. Uh, you know, give them credit, give service credit for winning those games. Uh, to me, they're not a contender, and, 
even realistically, you know, if you could get something for Kyle Seeger, he's been on the block many times. They might have to try that. Henniger, they tried to lock him up a couple years back. Um, he didn't do it. Um, you know, he's having a very good year. A Graveman uh, has done a nice job. Steckenrider's done a nice job out of the pen. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're – and if they sell it, it – well, I don't love the way the Mariners operate, uh, as their fans could tell you. I, I don't blame them if they're a seller. They're, they're not. A, it's not like the Cubs. They're not a World Series contender, at least not to me. Well, final question of the day for you, John, just to wrap up your corner here, your inside pitch, dare we say. Uh, who is the player? You mentioned all those players in the Minnesota Twins. You mentioned Cruz, Simmons, Robles, and Barrios. Who is the player that's on the, tra- tra- that's on the trade block this year that will produce the most value? You know what? I, I like Adam Frazier. Uh, I know the White Sox fans are already clamoring for him, but uh, he's going to help somebody. He's been on the block a lot, as everybody in the Pirates, probably except for Key Brian Hayes, is. Uh, you know, he's hitting around 320 with an on base close to 390 at this point. Uh, very versatile, uh, excellent player. And uh, the Pirates, uh, not a free agent after the year, the Pirates could get a haul for him. And uh, you know, the Pirates are often in trade mode, so I expect him to be dealt. If they don't trade him now, it's a missed opportunity because it certainly would be selling high. I completely agree. I love that pick of Frazier, but my pick is another player. Uh, also in the National League, for me, it's Trevor Story. And the only thing that worries me about trading Trevor Story is what they got out of that Nolan Arenado trade is unforgivable. They need to get one hell of a haul. For Trevor Story, if you're going to move him, you got to. The guy is at the top of the list when it comes to shortstops, you know, right up there with the Seegers, right up there with the Carlos Correa's. Personally, I think Carlos Correa is the best shortstop in baseball, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, I, I think uh, Trevor Story is a guy that should bring in a ton, but they are the Colorado Rockies and they have known to uh, bumble everything ever. <laughs> well, they have a new GM, the interim uh, Bill Schmidt, and uh, they seem to be cleaning house in that front office right now. So I think they're going to do things differently. Uh, we shall see. Ownership in the past has been reluctant to trade these kind of players, but they did trade Tulo. Uh, and as you mentioned, they made that Arenado trade that uh, was not well received, shall we say. Uh, Story isn't having his typical year, but I'm with you. He's a fantastic player. And uh, you know, at this point, uh, they need to rebuild, so they should trade him. Not easy to do when you've got a, a great guy, a, gr- a franchise player like that, but uh, I, I do think they should trade him and they should get a haul for him. He is one of the best players. There's a good debate of who's the best shortstop. I, I might, at this moment, I'm thinking it might be Xander Bogertz, but I, I love Correa. I love your choice. And uh, there's a good debate whether it's Story, Seeger, Baez. Lindor, I mean, uh, it's a fa- fantastic debate. I, I like the fact that we've got all these great shortstops who are free agents, Story, Seager, uh, Baez, and Correa, and Brandon Crawford and Marcus Simeon are doing as well as any of them right now, mm-hmm. and they're also free agent shortstops. So should be make for an interesting, interesting winter in terms of the free agent shortstops, but I am with you uh Cody, uh, Trevor Story should be traded and he sh- they should get a haul for him. I agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Brandon Crawford because you're talking about comeback player of the year and then some. Crawford, it's like yeah, everyone forgot that he was one of the best league. In the American League, Trey Mancini is the comeback player. We had him on 
and he's the comeback. Even if we didn't have him on, Trey Mancini, I mean, uh, beating cancer and coming back here and being among the RBI leaders, uh, hitting 14 home runs. Uh, Incredible. He, he's my comeback for the American League. But you're right. In the National League, Crawford, fantastic season. And good for him. Great guy. Ladies and gentlemen, you can see him on MLB Network all throughout Odyssey Sports, on The Score, and everywhere else. John Heyman. Follow him on, on Twitter, at John Heyman. You can follow me at Decker6. This has been Big Time Baseball for Odyssey Sports. Guys, that's it for us. John, this was absolutely a pleasure for me. I can't wait to do it with you again soon. Fantastic, Cody. Great talking to you. Always, guys. That's it for us. We'll catch you next week. Be safe out there. Beat it. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.